Hello everyone. Before we start today's podcast, some exciting news for you. You can experience the Inside Politics podcast live in Dublin on May 16th when Hugh Linehan, Jennifer Bray and I will be joined by Cliff Young of Ipsos, one of America's top pollsters, to talk about the US election, our own local and European elections and much more. It's a breakfast event kicking off at 8am in Trinity College. If you'd like to attend, you can get tickets at irishtimes.com forward slash events. That's irishtimes.com forward slash events. I hope we see lots of you there. It's Wednesday, February the 12th, and you're very welcome to the Inside Politics podcast from the Irish Times. I'm Hugh Linehan. Before we start, just another quick reminder about our Ask Us Anything election special later in the week. You can send your questions, preferably in an audio attachment, into us at politicspodcast at irishtimes.com. That is politicspodcast at irishtimes.com. Now, the story of this general election has undoubtedly been Sinn Féin, and the result has put that party at the very centre of Irish politics for the first time. Sinn Féin is now the most popular party in the state, and it is surely poised to come to power, if not in this style, then in the next one. It has been a remarkable story of long-term growth and of recent breakthrough, but the party's critics continue to raise questions about Sinn Féin's attitude to the role of Republican violence during the Troubles and to more recent post-Good Friday Agreement crimes, such as the murder of Paul Quinn, and also to the party's relationship with the Irish Republican Army. So, What is that relationship? Does the IRA actually exist anymore? And if so, what kind of organisation is it? And what level of control or influence does it have over the Sinn Féin leadership? In a little while, we'll be joined by Belfast Newsletter political editor Sam McBride to discuss the view from Northern Ireland. But first, our public affairs editor, Simon Carswell, has been looking at all of these questions and he joins me now. Simon, why are these issues becoming a big matter again at this point in time? I think Sinn Féin's links with the IRA are being looked at through a new prism now that uh, Sinn Féin is on the verge of potentially forming a government because Sinn Féin is best known for its historical links with the IRA, the paramilitary group that was responsible for about half the deaths and the troubles. And that position that Sinn Féin finds itself in has shocked the political establishment here by becoming the most popular party in the country with the highest share of the vote and the second largest party in the door. Uh, Sinn Féin went to the people and and we convinced them in very, very large numbers that we are the alternative, that we are the vehicle for change. So can you tell me or do we know what are the connections now between Sinn Féin and the IRA? Well, I think we need to look back first to see what they were historically. Sinn Féin was the political wing of the Provisional IRA. It fought for more than 30 years to try to end British rule in Northern Ireland and to fight for Irish unity. Now, that descended into a brutal tit-for-tat sectarian war during the Troubles. Um, The Provisional IRA was responsible for the deaths of about 1,700 people. Um, About 3,500 people were killed in the Troubles. And for decades, Sinn Féin was led by Gerry Adams, who, according to many people who served in the IRA, was a commander in the IRA, although he has consistently uh, denied this. The IRA is gone. And I mean, my, my position has been consistent that I was not a member of the IRA, but I've never distanced myself well, that's the, from the IRA. So, so that's, were you never tempted to join? No, no, I wasn't, no. Now, Adams, he's a veteran Republican from West Belfast. He led the party for 34 years, but he handed over to, as president of Sinn Féin, to Mary Lou MacDonald. She's from South Dublin. She's a graduate of a Catholic fee-paying school, a graduate of Trinity College in Dublin. That handover took place in February 2018. I won't fill Jerry's shoes. <laughs> but the news is that I brought my own. And Adams' retirement from politics in this general election really precipitated Sinn Féin's rise to become the country's most popular political party.
So with the rise of Sinn Féin, what do we know about the party's links to the IRA today? Is it still active and how can we establish that? You have to look back in, in, in recent history in the last few years and look at what uh, the assessment was. And if you look in particular at an international body that was set up to monitor paramilitary activity in the North, and they said in their final report in 2011 that the IRA had gone out of business as a paramilitary group. This independent monetary commission that was set up in in 2004 by the British and Irish governments. They said in the report that while some individual members were involved in criminal activity for personal gain, it believed the organisation was being allowed to wither away. And if you look at that final report, it was built on a more detailed assessment of IRA's activities in 2009. And in that report, the Commission said that it believed the IRA was on an exclusively uh, political path. And the report concluded that the IRA's military departments had been disbanded and its former terrorist capability had been lost. But it also said that the Army Council, the IRA's most senior command, was by conscious decision being allowed to fall into disuse. And that was 2011. And is the IRA still active? I don't mean in as, as a military or paramilitary organisation, but in, in any fashion. Well, it's hard to tell currently. Again, if you go back and look at the independent evidence, 2015, a report was done by the UK government. They published an official assessment of paramilitary activity in Northern Ireland. And that report said that the provisional IRA structure, including the ruling Army Council, remained in existence, though in a much reduced form, and its leadership remained committed to the peace process. That report... Uh, looked in particular at the Army Council and they said that the Army Council oversees both the Provisional IRA and Sinn Féin with an overarching strategy and that the group said that they judged this strategy as having a wholly political focus. And they said the Provisional IRA remains committed to peace and its aim of achieving a united Ireland by political means. Now that was in particular focus at that time because there was the murder of a Belfast, former Belfast IRA man, Kevin McGuigan, and the police service of Northern Ireland at the time came out and said that they believed that some provisional IRA organisational structure continued to exist and the police themselves believed that current IRA members were involved in that killing. We also know that the structures of the provisional IRA are such that some of them have changed, uh, some of them have been dissolved completely, but there is still some structures in place that uh, has enabled uh, the Republican movement to uh, bring the members of the IRA along this path of the peace process. And our assessment is that that is what those structures have been used for rather than for paramilitary or for terrorist uh, uh, purposes. And if you look at the report carried out by the government on uh, what the IRA, what its activity was at that time, they said that individual IRA members remained involved in criminal activities such as large-scale smuggling and there have been isolated incidents of violence, including murders. So just to dig in slightly into a couple of those things, the two separate reports, one, as you say, from an international body, the first one that you mentioned there, has anything in that been contested by Republicans, for example, in terms of the facts it reports? No, other than the fact that the uh, Sinn Féin members have said that the IRA has been disbanded, it's essentially defunct. Um, they say that IRA members have moved on and are involved with Sinn Féin in, in leafleting, in canvassing, in election uh, work, in wholly political work. So it's very much wedded to the peace process and to the political process. And what about then the 2015 report, which is from the UK government, which I imagine the Republicans might be more likely to contest? Well, uh, they're saying that the Sinn Féin, the most most recently, have said in this in this general election campaign, 
They've disputed Micheál Martin's claim that there are shadowy figures or unelected officials uh, behind the party, pulling the strings of the party in West Belfast. Um, Sinn Féin has denied that. They said that that's not the case. Uh, but if you look as recently as November 2019, the Police Service of Northern Ireland said that there had been no change in their view since that 2015 assessment by the UK government, which said that the IRA Army Council was still overseeing both Sinn Féin and the remaining structures of the organisation with an overarching strategy. So just to be absolutely clear, and just without going back into ancient, ancient history, because I think it's important, the original structure of these two organisations, these two interlinked organisations, was a pyramid, and at the top of that pyramid was the Army Council of the Provisional IRA. And this 2015 report says that that is still the case? Yes, that at the top of that pyramid is the Army Council, and below them are the Provisional IRA structures and Sinn Féin in this overarching strategy. And as recently as uh, last autumn, uh, November um, in November 2019, uh, the Police Service in Northern Ireland saying there had been no change in that assessment. The other part of this, obviously, is the point that individual members, this report states, are involved in criminal activity, presumably on their, on their own behalf for the most part. And there have been some particular incidents which have come to the fore over the course of the election campaign, which, which illustrate that most notably, of course, the, the controversy over the murder of Paul Quinn. And the people who did this broke every bone in your son's body below his neck. They did indeed, yeah. Every major bone in his body was broken. The doctor said they left nothing to fix. Can you imagine what that child went through in that barn? This happened 13 years ago. Paul Quinn is a 21-year-old from South Armagh. He was badly beaten and then he died subsequently. He was found at a farm in County Monaghan. And it was a sustained attack by a gang of about 10 men. Um, it was carefully planned. He was beaten with iron bars and nail-studded cudgels. And he's said to have been involved in a row with the son of a senior IRA member. The controversy around the murder of Paul Quinn and Sinn Féin's view of that surfaced again in the election campaign because of the comments by the party's Minister for Finance in Northern Ireland, Conor Murphy. Murphy said shortly after the murder that Paul Quinn was involved in criminality. Now, during the election campaign, Mary Lou Macdonald said that he hadn't said that, but when the clip was played of comments he made in a BBC interview, uh, she backtracked and Conor Murphy subsequently apologised. But what that murder did and what that controversy uh, raised was just what was the IRA's involvement in that murder and what was Sinn Féin's view of the IRA's involvement in that murder. And just to be clear, there have been a number of arrests but no prosecutions in the in the Paul Quinn case. But there is sort of a, there's a lot of debate or there seems to be a lot of consensus uh, in law enforcement circles about who is responsible. Yeah, in law enforcement circles, the belief is that individual IRM members were involved. And again, to go back to this paramilitary watchdog, now defunct, the Independent Monitoring Commission, they didn't attribute the killing to the IRA when they looked at this in a report published in 2008, the year after the murder. And they found no evidence linking the murder to its leadership. And they said it was clearly contrary to the instructions and strategy of the IRA's leadership. But they said in the report that among those people who were involved were people who had been associated with the IRA at a local level, including members of the organisation. But they did say the attack was carried out by locals and arose from local disputes. So in other words, it wasn't sanctioned by the IRA leadership, but there were certainly IRA members involved. The Commission had some interesting things to say about the group which they say was involved in this crime. Yeah, I mean, they, they pointed to the power that this local group of people wielded in the community. Uh, they said that the, uh, the commission said that some of these people were accustomed over a substantial period of time to exercising considerable local influence collectively and individually. These people would expect appropriate respect from others and to be able to undertake activities, including criminal ones, without interference. So the commission is painting a picture here of a group of local people 
who saw themselves as very powerful and uh, were willing to act uh, if someone crossed their path. Now, some people on the Sinn Féin side of the debate on these issues have pointed out that the Paul Quinn murder occurred 13 years ago now. Um, people who are critical of Sinn Féin point out that it happened 10 years after the Good Friday Agreement, so it can't be characterised as being related in any direct way uh, to the Troubles. But Sinn Féin is a party that's going through a huge transformation, not least with the massive influx of new political representatives who were only elected at the weekend, a younger generation, much younger generation than could ever have experienced the Troubles. And what, what do those new Sinn Féin TDs um, tend to say about, about these issues? Well, Sinn Féin is at an interesting time. It's 37 elected representatives in the Dáil, the highest number it's ever had. The average age is 44. But yet you have some members uh, who were teenagers at the time that the peace agreement, the Good Friday Agreement, Belfast Agreement, was signed in 1998. And indeed, the youngest member of Sinn Féin, uh, she was one at the time the IRA ceasefire was announced. The first one was announced in 1994. So... You have a very interesting mix, but you also have some very old veteran Republicans. Sinn Féin's oldest candidate, Desi Ellis, he topped the poll in Dublin Northwest at the weekend with a whopping 44% of the vote. He served 10 years in prison on explosive charges in the 1980s, and he's acknowledged that he was involved in the IRA at the highest levels during the Troubles. Now, he's moved into the political sphere now, and obviously is a representative and TD of the party. But some of the young members have been asked about this. Um, you have the Longford Westmead TD, Sorka Clark, who's 41, teenager at the time the Good Friday Agreement was signed. She claimed that the IRA had ceased to exist for decades now. And one of our reporters uh, asked if she believed that the IRA campaign of violence was justified. And she said she would never be able to relate to what had gone on in the streets of Northern Ireland during the conflict. And she said, I don't think I have the right to judge, having never lived there, having never experienced it. But even if you look at some of the comments made in the past by Mary Lou MacDonald as to her position on the IRA violence and the position of the Troubles, you have to go back to a 2013 documentary. She said, I completely understood and understand why people volunteered for the IRA. She asked the question, was it necessary to take up arms against the British state in the north? And she said, I believe it was. I take no pleasure in saying that. I wish it had been different. So you have a lot of Sinn Féin TDs now saying, we're not going to cast judgment on what was done in the past. People, there were needs must, there were requirements made at the time and a war was fought. Uh, you have the likes of Rory O'Murk, who a TD up in Dundalk, who retained Gerry Adams' seat after his retirement. Rory O'Murk said, it's history now. Younger people are more interested in issues like housing and healthcare. And that's what drove so many young people to vote for Sinn Féin in this election. Those are issues that are pertinent to their problems today, not issues that happened 30 years ago during the Troubles. Now, one of the reasons that senior figures in the other two large parties, Fianna Gael and Fianna Fáil, um, said that they would not enter into any political arrangement with Sinn Féin after the election, which has just occurred, was that it was not, and I quote, not a normal party. Yeah, um, Taoiseach Leo Varadkar said that, yeah. And what did he mean by that? Well, what they're getting at is, is the party's decision-making process. They're looking internally at the structures within Sinn Féin and they're pointing to obvious connections with former IRA members. They're questioning exactly what role the Army Council has in within the structures of Sinn Féin, as we talked about earlier. And Leo Varadkar has said the party's decision-making involves consulting with the Nord Corla, which is the ruling executive uh, of Sinn Féin. And he pointed to key decisions in the North that are not necessarily made by elected officials, elected politicians. And uh, Fianna, Fianna Fáil equally has ruled out coalition during the campaign with Sinn Féin, claiming that this was a party guided by unelected 
party officials and former IRM members. And Michal Martin has used the phrase, sh- phrase shadowy figures. Now, there's, a, there's one specific instance of this which they point to, which, uh, which appears in Sam McBride's book, uh, Burned, about the Cash Farage scandal. Yeah, and this is a really interesting uh, backroom dealings that we had sight of. Uh, other, if it had not been for the, the public inquiry into the Cash for Ash scandal in Northern Ireland, we probably wouldn't have come across this information. And Leo Varadkar raised it during the campaign and indeed before in the Dáil. He referred to emails that were sent between party officials in 2017. And what those emails showed was Sinn Féin's then finance minister, Morcina Mullor, asking for the consent of senior Republican Ted Howell. Ted Howell is a long-standing confidant of Gerry Adams. He's a highly influential figure in the Republican movement for a long, long time. Um, He acted as a go-between on behalf of the IRA leadership and senior Irish-American figures in the 90s during the early days of the peace process that really kick-started peace talks and and really led to the situation where we have had uh, 25 years of, of almost no violence. So, I mean, the, the response to that, and I've heard Jerry Adams say it, is really Ted Howell is a very senior figure within the party. He's been involved in the movement for 40 years. Well, Ted Howell and Padraig Wilson are, are both valued members of the Sinn Féin team for a very, very long time. Ted worked with me. Through all our ups and downs and twists and turns, it is not nothing unusual about going to seek his view on, on, a, on a specific political strategy. Yeah, and Mary Lou MacDonald herself has said, well, this is typical of what would happen in parties. You have ministers in any party um, seeking the advice uh, of advisors in the back room, in the background, to see whether it's it's there, it's a correct course of action that they're taking. But if you look specifically at what uh, Omolora was asking Ted Howell in one email, he asked Howell if Howell would be content if he signed off on a business plan to reduce subsidies in this renewable heating scheme, reducing the cost of the public. So he was asking Howell almost for permission, it looks like, uh, for a key policy decision when it comes to this controversy around how much money was being spent on this uh, renewable heat uh, issue. And uh, it didn't stop there. Omolura also consulted uh, Porrick Wilson and Martin Lynch, who have been described as two of the IRA's most senior Republicans. So the there is direct evidence now to show very senior Sinn Féin politicians, not just consulting, but as this would appear, asking for permission and uh, seeking um, direction from figures who were formerly very senior within the IRA. Apart from the cash for ash issue in, in Belfast, are there any p- possible examples of this that we can see f- from the point of view of Mary Lou Macdonald and politics in the Republic? Well, there was a very curious incident um, of this back in the summer of 2018. Mary Lou Macdonald gave an interview in July of that, that year and she said that a referendum on border poll on Irish unity amid all the turbulence of Brexit would be unwise. It is not my preferred option or our preferred option that we deal with the issue of Irish unity in a climate that is unsteady or unstable or chaotic. In other words, in the context of a crash Brexit or a very hard Brexit. But the following day she came out with this kind of pretty drastic U-turn where she said, I want uh, a border poll and I want it to happen soon, is what she said. Now, the sudden reversal, this raised suspicions that others behind the scenes were calling the shots. Um, this obviously is an issue of huge focus during the election campaign and Mary Lou Macdonald came out quite strongly and said there was no one pulling her strings. There was no one back in West Belfast directing Sinn Féin and Dublin as to how it, what position it should take on key policy issues. A, a somewhat separate but related issue is the, the role of the Ard Corla in, in Sinn Féin and some suggestions that it uh, wields too much power over the actual what's supposed to be the party leadership or the parliamentary party. But is that, is that valid? 
Well, Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael made a big deal of this during the campaign. They said that Sinn Féin TDs, all Sinn Féin TDs, including the leaders, senators and candidates, must sign a pledge to be guided by instructions from the ruling body, from the Ard Corla. Uh, Micheál Martin claimed that decisions were made, as I said before, about these shadowy figures. But Mary Lou MacDonald said it was common practice, there wasn't anything sinister about it. Ard Corla members are elected openly and democratically, and she even said it was broadcast on RTE. And she did point out, well, Fianna Fáil have an org call as well. Uh, Every party has some organisation of this sort. They do. Um, Fianna Fáil has said that, well, their org call is very different um, from Sinn Féin's. Its pledges are very different. Fianna Fáil has said that it was the parliamentary party that sets policy and that the party takes guidance from grassroots members in the constituencies. But in particular, what was interesting during the campaign was you had uh, another party coming out, Pater Tobin, a former Sinn Féin TD who left the party over the position's stance on the abortion legislation. He's now the only elected TD for Aintu, his party, leader of the party. And he said that his experience of Sinn Féin was that it was a very centrally controlled party and that TDs had, in fact, zero influence. He also claimed that the decisions on policy issues for the party in the North, they're made by unelected officials. And this was very different from how other parties operated. I have heard complaints like that from people who fell out with with their own parties and other parties as well and who ended up leaving them that, you know, that central control was too strong and that uh, TDs were not allowed to ex- express their voices. So that's not exclusive to Sinn Féin, is it? I don't think it is. Um, and maybe this is a this is a case of, of, of selective interpretation. It's also a case of this was... Uh, these were comments made during the heat of an election campaign. But certainly I think there is going to be scrutiny of the role of the Sinn Féin org corps, particularly if Sinn Féin gets into government. Why are people, some people anyway extremely worried about Sinn Féin getting uh, ministerships in in specific departments, specifically justice and defence? Well, over the years, and this goes back to uh, our recent history in the last 30, 40 years, uh, the parties linked to the IRA have obviously seen some serious crime, serious murders in the uh, state, and you have the killing of members of the security forces and the defence forces during during the Troubles. People like Garda Frank Hand, Detective Garda Jerry McCabe, prison officer Brian Stack. These are all people who were killed at the hands of IRA members. And for their relatives, it's it's very it would be very difficult for them to see a representative of a party that had links to the IRA becoming Minister for Justice, essentially overseeing the Garda Shia Khan or a Minister for Defence, essentially overseeing the Defence Forces, members of both organisations who were killed by the IRA during the Troubles. And I spoke to David Kelly, he's the son of an Irish Army soldier, Patrick Kelly. He was killed by the IRA during the rescue of kidnapped businessman Don Tidy back in 1983 in Dorada Wood in Ballinamore and Leitrim. And David told me that it would be extremely difficult to see Sinn Féin enter a coalition government or see a Sinn Féin TD become Minister for Justice or Defence um, he said that he, his father had worn the golden badge of Uglig Naharan with pride. Now, the IRA regard themselves as Uglig Naharan and the I- Irish Defence Forces, the state's army, regards themselves as Uglig Naharan. So clearly you can see why someone who lost their father at the hands of the IRA would have a major issue with Indeed, that. although the response to that in some quarters is that people have had to cope with exactly those sort of experiences in Northern Ireland for the last 20 years since the um, since the Good Friday Agreement. And that's true. The likes of DUP MP Jeffrey Donaldson has pointed out the contradiction here that you know, the DUP don't have the luxury of not being able to, um, to be able to rule out coalition with Sinn Féin. 
But as Michal Martin has pointed out, Northern Ireland is different. Uh, the terms of the peace in Northern Ireland mean that it is essentially national government. They have to have representatives of the unionist community, the DUP, and they have to have representatives of the national community, which are Sinn Féin, uh, sitting in the Northern Ireland executive, sitting at the local government cabinet table. Um, so there is a contradiction there. It happens in the north. Why shouldn't it happen in the south? And uh, Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael say well it's different in the south we have the choice of coalition government with a party that was tied politically to a paramilitary group that killed 1700 people Just pushing on from that I mean do some people have security concerns about whether Sinn Féin with its relationships which we've discussed um, having control of and access to the records of the Departments of Justice or, or Defence Officially, no. I don't think you're going to get the Garda Síochána coming out, the press office releasing a statement saying we are deeply concerned about the prospect of Sinn Féin entering government and where information that we share with government may end up. Uh, But privately, certainly there are uh, people who are concerned um, about where information might end up. They may are concerned about uh, the party's past links and certainly there are former members of both the Defence Forces and the Garda Síochána who are very uncomfortable with the prospect of Sinn Féin entering government given their past ties with the IRA. I want to turn to the very recent past, this incident with David Cullinan after his triumph in the general election in, in Waterford. They didn't break the hunger strikers. They didn't break Bobby Sands and Kevin Lynch. They'll they never break us. Sinn They'll never break Sinn Féin. It caused quite a lot of turbulence, didn't it? It did, because during the election campaign, you had Sinn Féin trying to put its past well behind it. And yet here, the very night of a victory party after this candidate has been elected with the third highest personal vote in the country, I should add, uh, he's shouting up the rah, he's shouting shouting, uh, pro-IRA uh, slogan uh, at a victory speech in Waterford. Um, so Cullinan's comments, as throwaway as Sinn Féin would like to portray them as, expose a contradiction. You know, on one hand, you, during the campaign, you had Mary Lou Macdonald saying that Sinn Féin was not being influenced by Belfast or unelected, unelected officials. No one was pulling her strings. The IRA is gone, disbanded, doesn't have any influence anymore. Yet on the other hand, you have David Cullinan shouting up the rah. Uh, so I think it... It leaves the party in a very uncomfortable position because it, it, it kind of reveals somewhat that, yes, there is a very strong influence still or belief within the party. You know, David Cullen has said this is about the past, it's not about the future, and he did not feel that he had anything to apologise for. But I think it offended people because it showed that a newly elected Sinn Féin TD, part of this new wave of wave of new TDs have been elected. It shows the links between the IRA and Sinn Féin are still very, very much to the forefront of their minds. And if we were to cite Jerry Adams' famous phrase, They haven't gone away, you know. So if Jerry Adams was right, and finally, Simon, what is the IRA now? It depends who you talk to, clearly. Um, but for the most part, it would appear to be a somewhat defunct organisation that is wedded to the peace process, is uh, adhering to political principles of fighting for United Ireland purely by peaceful and political means. But the structures still exist. So former members of the IRA who were involved in violence, who were involved in paramilitary activities, are still there and still have a role within Sinn Féin and all the official reports that we've cited show that they are still very much there. Do they influence the party? The party would say no. Um, 
do they have a say in what direction the party is taking? Again, the party would play down their influence, but they're still there. Um, and I think what's interesting about this whole debate is that Sinn Féin is at this new juncture. You know, it's a passing of the old guard. Uh, Jerry Adams has handed over to Mary Lou MacDonald two years ago. And I think uh, that passing of the old guard, the fruits of this change have been seen in this election with his party winning 37 seats, highest popular vote in the country, second largest party in the Dáil. But, um, and the possibility of there being a Sinn Féin government and potentially a Sinn Féin Taoiseach, that raises questions again. I think it puts um, a whole new scrutiny uh, on Sinn Féin and makes people look again at what its connections are with the past. So while I think the party says this is about the future and they've been elected by many younger voters who don't know about the Troubles, who don't think that the Troubles are that big a deal and who think that the bigger issues are the likes of housing and healthcare and the cost of living and insurance. But I think what this discussion is doing is putting a more intense focus on the past and Sinn Féin's, at times, difficult relationship with the past. Simon, thanks very much. Our focus in recent weeks has very much been on events south of the border, but what impact will Sinn Féin's remarkable surge have on the politics of Northern Ireland, where devolved government has just got back up and running after years of inaction? I'm joined by Sam McBride, political editor of the Belfast Newsletter and also author of the best-selling Burned, the inside story of the Cash for Ash scandal and Northern Ireland's secretive new elite. Sam, what is the view from Northern Unionism of Sinn Féin's success? Well, I think, I mean, it's a, it's a stunning result. And I think people up here, whether they're unionist or nationalist or even members of Sinn Féin, um, are as stunned as anybody else across Ireland. So it is, it is taking time to um, sink in as to what this actually means. Um, but generally, the leadership of unionism, Arlene Foster, the DUP, to a lesser extent, the Austrianist Party, have been very restrained in what they have said in, in response to this. They are trying to downplay it. They're trying to say, well... Um, that that is a matter for them. Um, we will carry on with our work at Stormont. They're not going to get a border poll. Nothing's going to change. But I think that when you scratch the surface a little bit, there is disquiet um, among grassroots unionism and people who um, are unnerved by this. They're not really sure, I think. Um, I don't think any of us are really sure what it actually means or will mean. But it's pretty unsettling if you're a unionist um, in Northern Ireland um, to see a party which... Many people up here, I think, quite complacently, um, from a unionist perspective, thought was going nowhere in the south. Um, it had been losing support consistently in um, in both elections and the polls, and had been losing support here in the north as well, suddenly roaring back to a point where it might be entering government, even entering government potentially um, at the head of that government. I mean, that, that, that is something which I think to most unionists is, is very unsettling at best. And the idea of Sinn Féin in government both north and south of the border, I mean, that, that must be, in, in some sense, even if it doesn't have immediate political impacts, it must have a chilling effect. It does to a certain extent. I think there, there is a great unknown um, element to this. Um, it, is, it is something which obviously has never happened before, and therefore there is a, a sense of uncertainty as to how it will actually work out. I think the if you're looking at the detail of this, clearly Sinn Féin are in a relatively weak position on one level in that if they go into government, um, they will be very much a minority um, within the Doyle. They are not in a, in a position where 
We are more used, I suppose, looking at Westminster to a, a, a party which, when it wins an election and forms a government, is, at, is in a commanding position within the legislature. Obviously, with a PR system, that's very, very different in the, in the Doyle. Um, so there, there is an element of that which, which is still not clear. I think, though, there, there are other unionists up here who look at some of what has come out of this in recent days, some of the... Um, the elements of, of a Sinn Féin here openly endorsing the IRA, for instance, and they almost welcome that. And they almost look at that and say, well, actually, this is what we have thought for a long time. Sinn Féin have been very good at concealing some of this and saying we've moved on, we've changed, um, and voters to a certain extent have bought into that. Actually, now we're seeing what actually is beneath the surface there, um, and they, they think that's a positive thing. So I think lots of people are looking at this in different ways. But it's, it's pretty unsettling, I think, for most unionists in Northern Ireland. So specifically that controversy over the up the raw statement by David Cullinan, is that the kind of thing that you hear at um, election victory rallies in Northern Ireland over the last few years? It's certainly not something I've ever heard, I don't think. Um, and it's, 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 it's something where I think you, you would hear more oblique comments. You would hear things like Chucky Arla. Um, and we, we, we've heard Mary Lou MacDonald say that um, very forcefully. We've heard... Um, Champions, uh, former MEP Martina Anderson, say that very forcefully um, from from public platforms. But somebody explicitly and openly endorsing the IRA, I mean, that is, um, for all of my time covering Stormont for over a decade, it, really what Champion was trying to get away from in the public consciousness, trying to say that's not where we are, and being very annoyed when people, um, as, as we've seen recently, um, both North and South, and very annoyed when people read criticisms of their past links or current links to the IRA and um, saying this is unfair, this is this is mistaken, you're you're wrong. Well actually now you've got somebody who is APD openly um endorsing um in the present tense, even though he explained it um in a way which tried to suggest that it that it wasn't a present um reality, um openly endorsing the IRA. So I think Again, some, some unionists in, in Northern Ireland who have never believed that the IRA went away, never believed that the Army Council went away, um, some even quite hardline unionists, I think, look at that and um, are quite satisfied about that. Um, but there's also an element where I think for people who, if Sinn Féin are serious about getting beyond electoral success and actually winning a border poll, I think that really sets them back with the sort of soft unionists, um, soft, um, even some soft nationalists in Northern Ireland, um, and particularly that growing co- cohort of centrist voters, alliance voters, Green Party voters, people who are not identifying with unionism or nationalism, who will ultimately decide the future of Northern Ireland in a border poll, they are not attracted to that sort of um, throwback to the past. And they had thought, I think in many cases, that the Republic had moved way beyond that. And that was one of the attractive elements of the Republic to those people. It was a modern, progressive, changing society, which did not have these links to um, to the, the, the past in terms of IRA violence. Actually, if there is a sense that things are shifting in that direction, I think that is a strategic liability for Sinn Féin if they're serious about winning a border poll. Sam, thanks for joining us again. That's it for today. Thanks to Sam and Simon and to our producer Declan Conlon. Remember, you can find us on all the usual platforms and at irishtimes.com slash podcasts. And don't forget to mail in your questions for our Ask Us Anything show to politicspodcast at irishtimes.com, preferably in audio format. Or you can, indeed, you can DM me at hlinehan on Twitter with them. But until the next time, thanks for listening.